Peter, reflecting on his personal conversion, proclaimed, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Perhaps now is the right moment to ask ourselves, whom do I say that Jesus is? How is it that I have come to that answer? With each passing day, as you and I choose to deny ourselves, take up our crosses and follow Christ, our witness of His divinity will grow stronger and stronger. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I have a chance to share my testimony almost every day at work. I have to, while we wait for some things to happen and while I'm with customers waiting, I don't know, somehow just conversation happens and I get to share my feelings about the saviors almost every day. I feel like I share my testimony in many different ways. I love to share it with my friends and family. It is who I am. I love my testimony. It's my most prized possession. I strengthen my testimony by praying every day or reading my scripture or going to the temple. I do all the simple things that the prophets counseled us to do. I've, you know, over the course of my life, gone to church, said my prayers, read my scriptures, attend the temple, and that has built my testimony line upon line so that I can share with important people like my children. I strengthen my testimony by, by doing hard things, uh, by trying my faith, by doing something I, I may not think I can do, whether it's a calling or maybe something at work or at home that uh, requires faith and, 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 and hope. Welcome everybody, my name is Ben Lomu and I am your host. Our Gospel Scholar for today is Dr. Gay Strathern. Dr. Strathern is an Associate Dean of Religious Education at BYU and has been a faculty member at the BYU Jerusalem Center. She has a PhD in religion with an emphasis on New Testament and Christian origins from Claremont Graduate University. She was born and raised in Redcliffe, Australia. Gay, welcome. Thank you, Ben. It's good to be here. And seated next to Gay is our special guest, Morgan Jones Pearson. Morgan keeps herself busy as the host and producer of Deseret Books All In podcast, as well as a contributing editor for LDS Living. Morgan, so happy to have you here today. Thank you. It's so good to be with you both. We're also joined by our studio audience. Thanks for being here. And to the viewers at home, thank you for joining us. If you'd like study and teaching resources from this discussion, visit byutv.org slash comefollowup. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss that relate to passages found in Matthew chapters 15 through 17 and Mark chapters 7 through 9. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resource developed and published by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we're going to discuss are first, a testimony of Jesus Christ comes by revelation, and second, consecration brings blessings. After exploring these two topics with everyone here, we'll let our studio audience go for the footnotes segment of the show and dive in a little deeper with Gay and Morgan. Okay, so as we jump into our first topic, a testimony of Jesus Christ comes by revelation. Gabe, will you give us an overview of what's being discussed within these chapters and then specifically how they relate to this topic? So in chapters 15 through 17 of Matthew and the corresponding ones in Mark, Jesus is on the go. And as he's going along, he's teaching. Um, he's also performing miracles. 
Um, but because he's on the move, people aren't seeing them, but they're certainly hearing about what Jesus is doing. And in a world where in Galilee, people had a, a lifespan of, say, an average of about 20, the fact that Jesus is coming along and he's offering miracles to help the heal them and to offer sickness. This is spreading and people are wanting to know him. And so they're coming. And when Jesus comes to them, they're asking questions and they're particularly asking, um, can you show me also what you've been showing in, in other places? And so they're asking for a sign um, and Jesus responds that signs aren't always going to help them. So with that in, in mind, then Jesus is going to move into another Gentile area and he's going to come to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, if we want to go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, and when Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But then he asked the questions, but who do you say that I am? You know, and within these, these chapters, we're going to find out the response uh, to, to those questions. And I'm curious, so Morgan, you speak to a lot of people. What are some things you've learned about seeking signs and receiving revelation? Yeah, I love that question. Just last week, I was interviewing a lady and she said to me, when you haven't grown up a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the idea of personal revelation is revolutionary. And so she recalled the first time missionaries told her that, you know, she could pray and receive answers, direct answers from, from God. And she said to me, I had always prayed and thought, I just had to hope after that, that whatever I was praying for would happen. And it wasn't until the missionary said, you know, you can, you can pray and you actually can receive guidance from God. And as we develop that relationship with him, it is revolutionary in our lives. How does God speak to you? I just recently have gotten into swimming. I'm a terrible swimmer. Like, <laughs> I don't even know how to breathe correctly. But I found that the, the thing that I love about being in the swimming pool is I don't have my cell phone. Okay. And I think that in, in the world that we live in, everything is always so busy. And I think that's the reason we love the temple, because it's the chance to disconnect and okay. to be in a place where you actually can hear the Lord speak to you. And the swimming pool has become this weird other place for me where I'm like, I leave my phone over there and it's just me in the water. And so I think whatever it is that can allow us that quiet place, because Satan is loud, I think, and causes anxiety in us. Mm -hmm. And we need to, to create space for the Lord to speak to us. And within these chapters, Gay, the Savior is trying to, to warn against um, seeking signs and, and how to receive proper re revelation. So Christ asked the disciples two questions, whom do men say that I am? And then more specifically directed at Peter, whom do, you, do ye say that I am on a very, very personal level. Can we talk about their responses and how do we get to that point where we can make such a powerful declaration uh, that Peter makes? So first, can I just say this question, who, who is this Jesus, is not just an ancient question, right? In 1988, Time magazine, their front page asked the same question, 
who is Jesus? The question hadn't changed like in 2000 years. <laughs> and, and in the pages of Time magazine, um, they had all of these scholars who were saying and giving their answer to who was Jesus. And I want you to see how you feel about what they say. So some said, well, he's a, he was a Hellenistic cynic philosopher. Others said he's a Galilean revolutionary, an itinerant sage, an apocalyptic prophet, or an inspired rabbi, right? All of them, I think, are true at a certain level, but there's something missing there. Who is Jesus? And so what they're saying here isn't too different than what the disciples are saying the people in Jesus' day said. They're also saying, who is this Jesus? He's a man. They're at least saying he's an inspired man, but they're seeing it as a, as a man. So that when Jesus then turns and says, but Peter, who do you think that I am? He says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Right, that's very, very different than how the people in Jesus' day or even the scholars today are going to say, because they're adding this, this, this Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. Morgan, how important do you feel it is for us to ask this question? And then on a more personal level, how important is it for you to ask yourself that question and answer it for yourself? Yeah, well, I think knowing who Christ is, it changes everything. It's paradigm shifting for all of us if we can gain that witness for ourselves. For me personally, I feel like coming to know Christ helps me understand how I can be adequate. When you know him, you know yourself and the way that you interact in the entire world changes. I would love to hear some thoughts from the audience. How have you come to find out that Jesus is the Christ? Kimberly. As a child, I had to have open heart surgery. And I went through a very special experience where I was alone and afraid. And I was only 10 years old and it was one particularly scary night. And I had a really special sacred experience in that room with my Savior. And I feel like that experience has been made to touch my whole life. I've always been able to turn back to that anytime. Times are hard, and I know that my Savior is with me at all times. Kimberly, why do you feel it is so important for individuals to find out for themselves that Jesus is the Christ? I think everyone needs their own personal testimony to know that He is there just for them and to know that you can call on Him at any time and that He understands your pain, no matter what you're going through. I love that response because it really does show us the importance as individuals, we do need to find out. Uh, Howard W. Hunter has a beautiful quote about this. He says, our personal salvation depends on our answer to that question and our commitment to that answer. We must each answer the question for ourselves. If not now, then later. For at the last day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is the Christ. Our challenge is to answer correctly and live accordingly before it is everlasting too late. President Hunter adds a lot of weight to the importance of answering this question when he says our personal salvation depends on that. And so I think that it's natural sometimes to feel like, okay, well, how do I really know if I've received that answer. And we had a question that came in from one of our viewers. I'd love to get some of your thoughts on it. My name is Jared Pinagrote. I am from Nashville, Tennessee. And my question is, are there any sources of revelation that we shouldn't trust? 
And if so, how can I make sure that the revelation I receive about Jesus Christ being my savior is something that I can trust on and build my life around? That's a good question. How do you trust sources of revelation? How do you confirm that revelation that we receive? I think one of the biggest answers to that question about how do I tell, the, the first thought that came to my mind was, is it something that invites you to do good? Mm -hmm. um, because the scriptures tell us, you know, if it inviteth and enticeth to do good. Um, but on the flip side, I think we can receive personal revelation from a lot of different sources. We have people that will say to me, you know, I had a question and I listened to your podcast and it answered my question. And I'm like, that's awesome. I'm really glad. But sometimes I worry. I'm like, well, if all you're doing for scripture study is listening to a podcast, then we may have a problem. Yeah. And so recognizing where different voices are taking a place in your life, the voice that I want the loudest is the voice of the Lord. And where do we get that? We get it from the scripture. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to, to pay attention to whose voice am I giving the most credence to in my life? You know, and even a show like Come Follow Up, uh, hopefully this isn't the source of your Come Follow Me study. Hopefully, it's a resource. It's a resource. Right. And that's what it's, all these resources are meant to, to help support what is happening with you as an individual and family in the scriptures, receiving that personal revelation. Can you talk to us about some of the things you've learned about the variety of ways that we, sh that we can hear him? For sure. So it's interesting. The podcast came out in October of 2018. In almost every interview, I started to notice that people were, would tell me, you know, President Nelson invited us to pay attention to how we hear him. And as a result of that, this is what has happened in my life. And they were all different. And so I think it's, it's interesting to recognize that we do have a living prophet and that his counsel can bless our lives. And one of the ways in which it blesses our lives is, and I think President Nelson is particularly good at this, is he extends a lot of invitations mm -hmm. and asks us to take things into action. And so because he invited people to do that, they started to see all the different ways that the Lord communicates to them. And I love the suggestions that President Nelson gives uh, that can be helpful to all of us who are seeking to hear him more in our lives. He says, we can hear him with your heart instead of your ears hear him by unplugging and slowing down, hear him in the scriptures, hear him in small and simple ways. It's almost like an evolution of, of how you receive and how you learn how to receive revelation. You know, sometimes you may get frustrated that we don't get the answer right away because it is a process. And with patience, just like with Peter, that revelation will come. Thank you both for, for sharing uh, with us on our, on our first topic, uh, a testimony of Jesus Christ comes by revelation for the audience. Thank you so much for sharing your, your experiences and that spirit with us as well. And for you at home, when was a witness of Jesus revealed to you? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram. Consecration means you give it your all. You put all that you have into worshiping Christ. Consecration means 100%. Um, it just is, there's no holding back, um, not 99%, but it's all, all or nothing. I can show daily consecration by doing the things that the Lord wants me to do, like praying every day, going to the temple, reading my scripture, um, have family home evening, all those little things that it will increase my faith. The blessings I feel I've received from living a consecrated life is just happiness. I feel like it just makes me happy. 
and makes my relationships better with my family and my friends and gives me more opportunities than I ever would have thought of myself because I know that Heavenly Father just has the bigger picture and I just see a little tiny bit. I think the biggest blessings that I've seen in my life in trying to live a consecrated life are the, the presence of the Spirit in my life, um, feeling like I'm not alone, feeling like I don't have to figure everything out right now, um, but recognizing that God is patient and as long as I'm seeking to do my best, He will help me. The second topic we're going to discuss today is consecration brings blessings. And Gabe, what sort of context can you provide uh, within this text as we jump into our second topic? So what we've done here is we've stopped in the middle of a story, right? When we talked about uh, uh, Jesus and Peter's discussion. And that story goes on to talk about uh, this very, very famous verse of scripture. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Then he promises him the keys of the kingdom. Um, and then notice in verse 21, I jump down. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And then notice the way the Saviour responds. It's a, it sounds a little harsh. But he turned, Jesus turned to Peter and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Whenever I read that question, I ask, how on earth in six verses do you get from blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, to get behind me, Satan, right? Um, and, and we get this sense here that for the first time in Matthew now, he is clearly now going to be focused on going to Jerusalem and knowing what's going to happen in Jerusalem. And he's declaring publicly that he is going to die there. And so what is it that Peter's saying, is doing here? He says, you're not going to die. I'm not going to let you die. But Jesus is saying, Satan, you're the adversary here. You're trying to stop what's really, really important. I have to go to Jerusalem. I have to go through the atonement. I have to be crucified so that I can be resurrected. And, and everything we've been talking about is, is going to happen. And that then becomes really, really important for these next verses in terms of consecration. Um, and how do we consecrate ourselves to God? Can we read some of those verses that talk about what he teaches next? So in verse 24 and 25, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man shall come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, the come after me and the follow me are both technical language where Jesus is inviting the people. It's a call to discipleship. I want you to be my disciples. And then he says, if you're going to be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross. The cross as a symbol of Christian discipleship is not something that happens in the fourth century. This starts with Jesus. He's the one using the image and saying the cross is the cycle, uh, the sign of discipleship. Luke actually says there, take up the cross daily. And I've, I've, I've thought about that a lot in terms of what does that mean? Obviously, a cross is one of uh, 
suffering, commitment, and what does it mean for me to take up my cross? I, I like to use the phrase, I draw my line in the sand and say, here I stand. Whatever the world says, what the world is trying to get me to do, this is my line. I stand here and I have chosen to stand shoulder to shoulder with the Lord's anointed. Morgan, can't you feel that Gay has drawn that personal line in the sand herself? I, I love how she speaks about these verses and you have a personal connection to these verses as well. Do you mind uh, telling us what you gained from this? Yes, I love these verses, particularly verse 25, where it says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. When I was like 15 years old, my mom and I went to Time Out for Women in North Carolina, and we picked up this book, and it was by Jane Clayson Johnson. Um, and in it, one of the first chapters has this quote by Mother Teresa. I am like a little pencil in God's hand. He does the writing. The pencil has nothing to do with it. The pencil has only to be allowed to be used. And for some reason in my little like 15-year-old mind, that like went off and like lit something on fire for me. And the cool thing is fast forward like 10 years later, I was writing faith feature stories for Deseret News and it hit me that quite literally God had given me the opportunity to be a pencil in his hands. My plan for my life was to like graduate from BYU and immediately get married and it didn't work out that way. And for me at times, like it felt like a cross, um, not getting the life that I thought that I wanted. But I can look now and see that God made so much more out of my life than I ever could. So there's another quote that I really love by Ezra Taft Benson. And this one says, men and women who turn their lives over to God will discover that he can make a lot more out of their lives than they can. He can deepen their joys, expand their vision, quicken their minds, strengthen their muscles, lift their spirits, multiply their blessings, increase their opportunities, comfort their souls and pour out peace. And to me, like I read those, that list of blessings, I'm like, who wouldn't want that? Mm -hmm. Who wouldn't want all of those things? But it requires that turning your life over to God and saying, I just want to be a pencil in your hand. Mm -hmm. A pencil can make mistakes. It can be erased. It can try again. It wears and down. All, exactly. <laughs> and all that God asks is that we try to be used by Him. And as we do that, we find so much more than we can make out of our lives on our, on our own. And I think that that's really what consecration is. Consecration means it is something that is dedicated to God. And, and, and with animals in the law of Moses, we dedicated, we consecrated the, the animals to the Lord. Here's the opportunity for me to say, no, this isn't on the animals. This is my choice. And I choose to dedicate my life to God. Well, let's get some examples from the audience. As you have dedicated yourself to God, how has he been able to make more out of your life than you could have on your own? Lane. I remember when I was a new medical student and I just got married, come home from my mission, and um, we made the decision that we were going to start our family. And it seemed crazy at that time to make that decision. But that's what we felt that the Lord wanted us to do. And uh, it was really challenging. But now as I look back 
just feel so grateful for the blessings that has brought to us. We've had, we have seven children now who are all, all adults <laughs> and going their own way, but what a, what a wonderful blessing that was. I'm just so grateful that first the Spirit prompted us to make that decision, to make that choice, and to realize how many blessings that have come to us from, from that decision. You know, and that really is an exercise of faith, this willingness to consecrate ourselves, to consecrate our lives to God. Can we talk a little bit, uh, Gay, about just what consecration really is and, and what the Savior is trying to help his disciples to understand? So when it's talking here in 24 about if any man come after me and let him deny himself, um, this is what two non-Latter-day Saint scholars said. Our text drives home the point that disciples, and implicitly all believers, must not passively observe the Lord and what he does. They are not seated spectators watching from a grandstand. I love that imagery, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ and his church is about you and me. And it's what we do for it, and we have to take responsibility. We can't just be sitting passively hoping that things happen that we expect. So at some point, we've got to stand up and get down on the field and participate in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's so easy to be able to say and to have difficulties in life or uh, people challenging you or, or what. But I've got to say, I'm in here for the long haul. That doesn't mean that I have all of the answers. I have more questions than I ever had at this point in my life. But I have questions and I approach them knowing that one day, one day when I start to see as God sees that eternal realm, then maybe, then I believe, not maybe, then I'll be able to understand the things that, the questions that I don't have here and the things that I don't understand in life. It's okay to have questions, but use those questions and go ahead with faith. That's a cost of what it means to be a disciple. Thank you so much for, for sharing just of your, your testimony and it just pours out of you. Uh, Morgan, what are some of your thoughts as we talk about what it means to, to yield up, to fully consecrate ourselves, our, our heart, our mind, our body, our soul, and dedication to God? It can feel really overwhelming to give everything that we have or to let God prevail. Elder Maxwell said, we give our all and he gives his all. And then Elder Maxwell said, that's a pretty good exchange rate. And <laughs> um, if we think about it in terms of what does God have to offer and what do we have to offer and recognizing, I always talk about how we are making promises with someone that always keeps his promises. Knowing that, knowing who we're going in on this with, understanding what he has to offer, it really is and feels like a no-brainer. But at the same time, it's a lot easier in, in words than it mm -hmm. is in practice. Yeah. And I think of this, the Savior, right? Isn't this what he's doing in Gethsemane? I, I don't want to do this. Right. If it be possible, take this away. Nevertheless, even though I'm having those feelings, nevertheless, thy will be done. Well, and Gay, when you were talking earlier, it made me think, 
it really is, it does have to be a conscious thing, oh, yeah. that decision mm -hmm. to surrender to God's will for our lives. It's it's not a one-time decision. It's something that we do over and over again. Absolutely. And as you said, the blessings that come from that are immeasurable. Elder Ruchdorf has a great quote talking about um, what happens when we give our lives over to God. He says, those who wholeheartedly turn their lives over to our Savior and serve God and fellow man discover a richness and fullness to life that the selfish or egotistic will never experience. When we take advantage of the unlimited opportunities to love and serve our fellow man, including our spouse and family, our capacity to love God and to serve others will greatly increase. It's amazing how simple the message is and how sometimes we can get distracted from fully embracing that. But as we do that, the Lord just takes over and makes so much more out of our lives than we can on our own. Thank you Absolutely. both for, for sharing uh, your, your spirit, your testimony. And for the audience, you've been wonderful. Thanks for sharing uh, your spirit with us today. And for those at home, we still have so much to cover from these passages in Matthew and Mark with Gay and Morgan and footnotes. Stay tuned. What I really enjoyed today about Come Follow Up was Gay Strathern talking about how consecration for her meant drawing a line in the sand like the Savior with being committed and being a disciple and yet still having questions, but deciding to, to be faithful and to live a consecrated life. Something that stood out to me from the Come Follow Up discussion today was about consecration and being a young adult, it's hard to see kind of the end results of consecrating my life right now. But I know that as I continue to do it every day, that one day I will be able to look back and see how my life has become so different because of that. We need to make time for the Lord. You know, it's just not revelation or it's just not gonna happen unless we prepare ourselves. So we need to try to to put away the busyness, busyness of life and 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 find moments that we can we can just be there, give time to the Lord, and listen to, to what He's trying to tell us. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions about Matthew chapters 15 through 17 and Mark chapters 7 through 9 with Gay and Morgan. Okay, first of all, thank you so much for uh, what you taught me personally from that previous, our previous discussion. It's been wonderful, right? It's been so yeah. fun. And we have a really important event that has taken place within these chapters that we have yet to, to discuss. And I'm gonna let Gay teach us. And I'm, I'm really excited because it's amazing. So Gay, will you uh, walk us through this event starting in chapter 16, leading into chapter 17 of Matthew? Yeah. Thank you. So I want to turn to verse 18 now because this is this is probably more ink has been spilt on verse 18 <laughs> over the years than just about anything else in the Bible. Jesus says to Peter, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail about it. And so one of the big questions is, who is the rock? Or what is, is the mm -hmm. rock upon which the church would be built? And of course, this is very important for our um, Catholic friends, um, perhaps this is this verse is as important to them as James 1.5 is for us as Latter-day Saints. 
doctrinally and foundationally. And Latter-day Saints often are going to compare the rock to what was happening in the previous verse and say, well, the rock is revelation. And the prophet Joseph teaches that. And I think it's a natural idea given the context here. But I think that um, if we think about it only in terms of revelation, I, I think we should change this passage. Uh, because in the scriptures, there's only rarely is there one and only one way of reading scriptures. And that's what I love about them. And I think theologically as Latter-day Saints, I think we have a good foundation to say that the rock could be Christ mm-hmm. upon which the you know, the church is built. We can go to Helaman 5, 12. Yeah. Yeah, and in fact, the prophet Joseph also mentions that in talking about that the, the rock is the church upon which it is built. And so I think, you know, revelation's important. The, the, the Christ is important. But I want to suggest another one because uh, there's something going on here in terms of some language. So, it, and it doesn't come out so much in the English as usual. So <laughs> when Jesus says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, this is how it reads in in Greek. Thou art Peter, Petros, and upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church. So what did you notice about those two words? So the the footnote, at least, Petros, small. Yep. And so Petros and Petra are coming from the same idea, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But Petros is is a small pebble, but Petra is this huge foundation mountain kind of rock, right? So from a literary perspective, Petros is not the Petra. Mm -hmm. But can the Petros be a part of the Petra? That's what I'm thinking about here. And so when I think about Peter, he's not perfect at this point. And throughout the scriptures, we see him on his roller coaster ride, Mm -hmm. right? But by the time we get to Acts 2, and he has that revelatory experience of Pentecost, he is rock solid. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if there isn't a way that we can think it may not be the man Peter who is the rock upon which the church is built, but Peter with the prophetic mantle. What's his primary responsibilities as the president of the church, as the church moved forward? Number one, it was to receive revelation for the church. And number two, it was to testify of Christ. So he becomes then the conduit for these other interpretations Mm. that we have of the rock. So I'm always a little careful about saying that this can't be Peter because I think Peter with his mantle fits within what's going on here. I really wish that you had taught me this (laughs) pre-mission. That would have been really good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that really when you, with that explanation, as we go into chapter 17, it makes so much more sense. Right, right. You know, having that as the background, it really does set up what is about to take place in 17 uh, as we talk about this transfiguration. Yeah. yeah. So as we pick it up in chapter 17, um, Morgan, would you like to read these? And as I tell my students, I'm going to stop you okay. halfway through and things like that. Perfect. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart. Okay. He wants some time with Peter, James, and John. So what's happening here on this mountain? Can you continue? Mm -hmm. And was transfigured before them. Okay. Now pause there. So for Latter-day Saints, when we think of transfigured, how do we define? What does a transfigured mean to us? 
The first thing that comes to my mind is the experience of Joseph Smith. He was temporarily changed so that he could experience the presence of God. Okay, because with a mortal body, we cannot mm-hmm. uh, dwell or stand in the presence of God because that glory is so, so great. And But I think it's being used differently okay. here, right? Because the word in Greek here, and so Jesus was metamorphosed, that what we're seeing here is a different Jesus, or Peter, James, and John are seeing a different Jesus. And I'm going to argue that they're seeing Jesus in his glorified state. Now, I don't know about you, but that just makes me go, whoa, whoa, something really, (laughs) really is important is happening here and slow down and let's think about what are the implications of that. Keep going. And his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Okay, so Elias here is really just the Greek form of the name Elijah. So we have Moses and Elijah. Because Elias can sometimes be used as a title, is that Title, right. And it also um, can be a person who lived in Abraham's Mm -hmm. day, right? But usually it's used, at least in this biblical account, as a reference to to Elijah. Okay. Now, do you can you think of anything that Moses and Elijah have in common from our Old Testament? Transfiguration. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> well, they, they've had, been transfigured, yeah. right? They didn't die. Why didn't they die? Because God had a mission for them. And yeah. I would suggest that that's happening here. And I'm not sure I understand exactly why they needed a body to do what they're doing, but there's something important about this body going on. So Moses and Elijah come, and then keep going for us, please. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. Okay, now that's a really important verse. This idea of why does Peter say, let's make three tabernacles? Um, that's suggesting to us that this event on the Mount of uh, Mount of Transfiguration is taking place during the Feast of Tabernacles, right? This is an important thing to during Sukkot or Tabernacles. You build these tabernacles, and one of the ways you show honor to guests is to invite them into your tabernacle. Mm. And this for Peter is what's how how do you show honor? to Moses and Elijah and a glorified God, right? So why that's important is that 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 kind of gives us this clue that this is just, we're entering the last six months of Jesus' life. So, and while they're there then, verse five, there's a cloud comes down. That's the really important symbol of the presence of God, right, comes. And in fact, we have God the Father declaring, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So, We have God there, we have Jesus in his glory, we have Moses and Elijah coming. So what on earth is going on? What's so important about these events? Luke makes a really interesting addition that we don't have in Mark. And he said, Moses and Elijah came to speak of Christ's upcoming death. Now, I don't know what that means, but in six months, he's going to die. Uh, For Latter-day Saints, we would say that Moses and Elijah are bringing keys. This is the fulfillment of what happened back in chapter 16. This is what Moses and Elijah do at the Kirtland Temple dedication. So um, that's a pretty impressive thing that we have the keys given as well. Then if you come with me to 2 Peter, this is Peter's own description of what happens. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1, starting verse 16. 
Would you like to read that for us, Ben? For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Of his what? Majesty. Okay, keep going. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. What's the holy mount? The Mount of Transfiguration. Okay, so he's describing his experiences. We were eyewitnesses of Christ's majesty. Right. Then notice verse 19. We have therefore a more sure word of prophecy. Because of the events on the Mount of Transfiguration, we received a more sure word of prophecy. Mm -hmm. So let's go to Doctrine and Covenants 131, verse 5, because this gives us a definition of the more sure word of prophecy. The more sure word of prophecy means a man's knowing that he is sealed up unto eternal life. What would we call that? Calling an election, make sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how does this, how does this, how does he get sealed up? By revelation by the spirit of prophecy. Well, what's the spirit of prophecy in Revelation? It's the testimony of Jesus, and it's through the power of the holy priesthood. And my question is, are those things evident on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? So Peter's saying, because of the Mount of Transfiguration, we have been sealed up unto eternal life. Oh, gosh, I'm excited about that. <laughs> and then the last one is, let's go to Doctrine and Covenants 63. So this is verses 20 and 21. Nevertheless, he that endureth in faith and doeth my will, the same shall overcome and shall receive an inheritance upon the earth when the day of transfiguration shall come, when the earth shall be transfigured, even according to the pattern of which was shown unto mine apostles upon the mount, of which account the fullness ye have not yet received. What I'm, I'm seeing here is that something else happened on the we Mount of Transfiguration know. because they saw a vision yeah. that we haven't seen. Again, something really, really powerful is happening. Yeah. And I think that this is worth us thinking about, right, rather than just reading quickly, because this becomes then one of those foundationally important events in the New Testament. And what's interesting to me as we kind of look what happens as a result of the Mount of Transfiguration, we've mentioned earlier that Jesus is on the move. He's going all over the place, right? He's going to Gentile lands, he's going to Jewish lands, Gentile lands, Jewish lands. But the Mount of Transfiguration and these events take place and now his focus is on Jerusalem. Now he's prepared to journey there knowing fully What's waiting in there? And, 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 we, and I love how the following verses after this event, we see how Jesus heals a lunatic and the disciples are like, well, how come we couldn't do it? And then, so then we get this wonderful discourse about, about faith. Like this, I, I've shown you who I really am. Peter is going to need so much faith. We are the, in, in the same place uh, right now where we rely on this so much why don't you go ahead and read 20 for us and then see what you, I'd love to hear your comments on that. Yeah. 
And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Such a good verse. Such a good verse. I think, um, well, first of all, before we move past Peter, I think it's interesting as Gay was talking about him and the significance of that conversation between the Savior and Peter, it made me think about, so with this podcast, I started to notice over and over again that people kept bringing Peter up on the show. And I found myself asking like, why is that? Because we don't talk about Peter a ton, Mm -hmm. you know, within our church. And then I started to notice that every time that Peter was brought up, it was like, I can be like Peter. Peter feels something, feels like something that is actually doable. We can relate to Peter. Yes, exactly. And he, we see how the Savior's like, you know, you're not perfect, and, but I'm going to work with you. And Peter knows he's not perfect. And Peter has these moments of weakness, but then he really, we see him come into his own. And that all leads up to this conversation, which this scripture always reminds me of a talk that I read when I was a missionary. And it's by um, Richard C. Edgeley, and who was the first counselor in the presiding bishopric. And in it, he says this about this particular verse. I have never witnessed the removal of an actual mountain, but because of faith, I have seen a mountain of doubt and despair removed and replaced with hope and optimism. Because of faith, I have personally witnessed a mountain of sin replaced with repentance and forgiveness. And because of faith, I have personally witnessed a mountain of pain replaced with peace, hope, and gratitude. Yes, I have seen mountains removed. And I remember reading that as a missionary, and it was right after we had just taught this lady about prayer, and she had prayed the most beautiful prayer. And I thought, that was a mountain. And we are able to see the same things that Peter sees. And in the same way that that the Savior says to him, nothing shall be impossible to you, nothing is impossible to us. Um, we'll, We'll have things that feel like mountains, but with the power of God, nothing is impossible. Yeah. And with Peter, the thing that I love there about him is that Jesus works with his potential, not always where he's at. And so for me, I, I long to think that even in the weaknesses, even in my sins um, and the imperfectness of me, my hope is that God will also work not with where I'm at, but the potential that I have as his daughter. I want to be prepared so that one day I can stand before the Saviour and the Father, that they can encircle me in the arms of their love, and my hope is that they'll be able to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant enter into thy rest. And I'm not there yet, not even close. But that's what keeps me going. That's what me, why I keep moving forward in the hope that there might be some of this Mount of Transfiguration mm-hmm. in my experience as well with the Lord. I think that's the reason we love Peter mm-hmm. is because we also have 
he gives us hope yeah. that we can get there and have that opportunity. And, and I was just thinking when you were talking, Gay, that I think it's a beautiful thing to want that and to want to stand before the Savior because that means that you feel like you'd be okay in his presence, you know, you, you might need the transfiguration, but yeah. that you would be worthy of that experience. And, and I think that's a good place to be at yeah. in your life. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated uh, as we talk about this, having the faith that it takes. Um, in chapter 16, you know, we get this, these warnings about what can prevent us and what can derail us. How do we avoid some of these these negative things that that can creep into our life so that we can truly be all in. Well, I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier in that it's who we're allowing to be the greatest influences mm -hmm. on our lives. I think that word influencer is interesting. I actually hate it. <laughs> um, but I think it's interesting because we have the ability to choose who we give mm -hmm. influence to. Okay. And the truth be told is we're all influencers. We all have the ability to influence people within our sphere. And so it's a question of, you know, what kind of influence am I being and who am I allowing to influence me in my life? To me, a big part of this is just priority. And I, I think that being all in as it relates to these verses really is to take up your cross. It's funny in the footnote um, of verse 24, I noticed this as I was studying, um, it says, and now for a man to take up his cross is to deny himself all ungodliness and every worldly lust and keep my commandments. And all ungodliness and every worldly lust feels kind of lofty, yeah. you know, especially yeah. in our world where the world is just so loud. Um, but if we can can take up our cross and deny ourselves of those things and give things their proper place, there's that quote by President Benson where he said um, that if you have things in their proper place, they'll either fall into place or fall, drop mm -hmm. out of your life. And I think that's absolutely true. So one of the questions that you ask in your, in your podcast to, to your guests is to uh, describe what it means to be all in. I would love to hear your response. What, what does it mean to you to be all in? So this is a tricky thing for me because <laughs> it changes all the time. Okay. The, the biggest thing that this hosting this podcast and thinking about this question a lot has taught me is the power of covenants. I've become obsessed with the idea that the greatest joy that we experience in life comes through making and keeping commitments. And the, the opportunity that God is giving us in giving us covenants to have to make and keep is the deepest form of joy in recognizing how lucky I am to be able to make promises with someone that always keeps his, then I wanna do whatever he needs me to do. I want to take up my cross. I want to turn my life over to him. So I guess for me, what it means to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ is to cherish my covenants. What about for you two? What does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? She's going podcast mode. Yeah, right? I'm turning the tables here. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> I, I would say it. I would say amen, yeah. amen. I think there is a reason that President Nelson is asking us to not just make covenants, but to keep them. I think he sees some things that that I don't think I see yet, but I know that the blessings that have come to me because I have made a choice that I want to keep my covenants and use them as my guiding light. <laughs> um, I ran a marathon recently and to, to answer your question, what does it mean to be all in? That's for me, it doesn't start the day of the race. It starts months before. And it is easily the hardest physical thing that I've ever done. But I, I made a commitment yeah. and I was going to do this. And I, and I really, like, I wanted it bad. I wanted, and there are moments where even as you're running, you're thinking, why am I doing this? <laughs> but, I, but I was all in because I, I had made the commitment. I had signed up for the race. I had to pay for the race. I had all these months of training, miles and miles I had put into this. And there was no way I was going to quit. And was it what I expected? No. But the feeling of crossing that, I, I, I got emotional. I, I, I started crying. I saw my wife and it's just, it was so, I was so happy. I just hugged her and I, and all these emotions just, just poured out of me. I was like, I did it. You know, I, I did it. Cause I was, I was committed. I was all in. And I imagine that when we, when we get to that, that finish line of, of, of life, you know, and if you stick with it, you're going to have that, um, that embrace of, I did it. I accomplished it. You know, see what gay, gay does this to me. She brings out all <laughs> these emotions. I just love how, how just your spirit just brings this out on me. But really that's what it means to be all in. Yeah. All in means that you're going to have fails. You're going to have struggles, but nothing is going to get me to quit and stop. And, and that's tired. okay. I may get tired. I may get burned out, but there is nothing that is going to keep me from staying on this covenant path because I'm all in. Yeah. And I think that's what covenants oh. do for us. They give us that power to keep going, to keep training hmm. um, and pressing toward that finish line, knowing that there is light all the way through and that the light at the end is going to be even more magnificent. How did they describe it? Majestic, Majestic. than we yep. can imagine. Well, this has been so great. I can't thank you both enough for sharing your testimonies, your knowledge, just your spirit. Uh, this has been, hasn't this been great? It is. You're I wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. And for you at home, thank you for joining us for this discussion from Matthew chapters 15 through 17 and Mark 7 through 9. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions that you've received. For additional study and teaching resources, visit byutv.org slash comefollowup. Next week, we cover eternal life, forgiveness, and more as we study Matthew 18 and Luke 10. Thank you for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting. 